From Bristol, UK, I'm Pommy Harmer. And I'm Melissa Shamam, and this is The Quarantini. As we dip in and out of lockdowns, we're bringing you this podcast to keep your spirits up. Every episode will bring you a mix of ingenious responses to the virus, an in-depth interview, and maybe a dash of the unexpected. that often involved music, just like this lovely song by the All Bones Collective. Thank you very much to my friend Seb Gutierrez for letting us using this song every week. And it's called Hot Flu. Hello and welcome back. And a happy new year 2021. Coming up in the show, we have an interview with Sunita Welch, a public engagement manager for the Brecon Beacons. We have our usual roundup of good news. And music this week's very special. It's a TikTok remix from the seaside. What do you think of that, Melissa? Mm, exciting. Who would have thought? We'll get there. <laughs> and now it's time for our first interview of the year. Although we're currently in lockdown... In this last year, many more of us have found solace in the outdoors and unable to book foreign holidays, we've turned to the wilder places in the UK, to our beaches and national parks. And last summer saw huge numbers of visitors to many of these places and UK campsites sold out for months ahead. But how was it for those managing the parks during that time? There were countless reports in the media about the mess people left. With travel restrictions in place for some months ahead, maybe, we're facing the same tensions this spring and summer. If our national parks want to encourage us to come out into the countryside, and we know they do, how are they planning to manage the numbers this summer? I turn to the wonderful Sunita Welch, Public Engagement Officer for the Brecon Beacons in South Wales. And first of all, I got her to tell us about the Bracken Beacons and whether we could even really call them wild. Britain's national parks, they're not what I would call wild places. Uh, People live here. This park has a population of about 34,000 people and um, it's a living, working landscape. So although it's a national park, like the rest of the family of national parks, people live, work, Um, in these places so they're not what I would call truly wild places it's a category five protected landscape and if we think of the world's biggest most famous national parks perhaps in North America they're category one protected landscapes and if you visit somewhere like the Rocky Mountains or Yellowstone National Park they're gated you know you pay to go in and, and numbers can be managed and the landscape is not there you know, for for people to live in, it's their people visit. There are people who live there because obviously they work for the for the park, and so our park is a is a living, working landscape, and intrinsically they're protected under that category for the relationship between landscape, culture, heritage, and people. So it's the whole whole bag. Um, so we're not just protected for our, our wildness and our nature, we're protected for the cultural story that's here. Okay, and I know that over this pandemic, we have seen a huge, enormous rise in the people that have been visiting the national parks. And uh, I remember hearing on a, on a, 
on a panel where you were talking that someone in your team had done some research by looking on Instagram to see why people had come. Can you tell us more about what they found out? So, yeah, so we had a, what we described as a little bit as a deep dive into Instagram and you could get lost in Instagram, obviously. Um, but, you know, I'm an interpreter as well by training, connecting people, telling the stories. And, you know, we have some concepts in, in that profession about universals, about family, about love, about relationships, actually about death as well. Those are all universal concepts that everybody the world over experiences and what we found out was if if you got past the pictures of the you know the beer cans and the and the barbecue fire behind you people were posting pictures of reunited with my loved one out with my husband out with my boyfriend today you know occasionally scattering uh, relatives ashes and things like that but they're all universal concepts and I think it was it was a bit sad that the media portrayed everything so negatively. And don't get me wrong, there were challenging behaviours um, of people visiting the national parks and many other places, particularly our coastal areas in the UK and anywhere with water. But, you know, those universals that underpin how we all live our lives were present in those Instagram pictures. And I think it's, it'd be use, it would be good for people next year to step back and remember why people were wanting to come out into nature. Nature felt like a safe place. You know, government was saying you are safer outdoors. So people came to be reunited with their families in safe spaces. And I think we need to remember that. And also they couldn't go abroad and they couldn't go to festivals. We had fantastic weather. They wanted to recreate the holiday spirit. And I think I think we did see what I would term festival behaviour. And I was um, talking on another panel last week. One of the uh, leaders in the Wildlife Trust also, she was saying, you know, people brought that festival behaviour. And there are a lot of people perhaps visiting our, our, our landscape broadly, green spaces across the UK, whose only other experiences had been at festival sites. And I did hear one story anecdotally where somebody said, well, why are you dropping litter? Well, there's somebody who'll be paid to, to get to pick that up and I wouldn't want them to lose their job. And obviously, you know, that is how a festival is often run, is you arrive, it's a fully serviced experience. And I think, you know, we are living in what I would call the experience economy. When I was little, you went to a birthday party and you got cake and a balloon if you were lucky to take home. Here you go to an event, you, you know, it's all orchestrated and everybody gets a gift bag and you probably have a little bit of an adrenaline experience, laser tag, whatever it is. And, you know, that has, has developed into sort of attending festivals and people are coming to green places for an experience. People have bucket lists now. So you might visit maybe the Lake District and in the past, you'd walk from where you were, you stayed, but now you're going to tick the 10 top peaks all in a week. So we are living in that experience economy. But there's quite a lot of interesting research out there that actually says that that's not really what a lot of young people want. They just want to get out and have some peace. So I think, yes, it's definitely some challenging behaviours. But again, back to the bottom line, you know, people have had a challenging year and if nature and green spaces, as they are, can provide people with relief, provide people with safe spaces 
to to experience those universals that love that family and friendship then we should be all for that and you talked a little bit about the media and and being a bit disappointed in their reaction and just picking up on the litter and the, and the mess. And I guess that does reflect a section of our society who do think they own the countryside and it's theirs. And I'm thinking also about whole sections of our society who don't go out into the countryside because they don't feel it's theirs. And how can we change that? So, so I think... Um we can look to the to the benefits i think a lot more people have realized the benefits of outdoors this year you know even if you live in a city you know the 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 importance of your local park and just being able to get out and move and that a further expansion of that is is to give people the confidence you know that these places are for are for them you know, as talking to a colleague from Texas um, last week who was saying, you know, Houston is, you know, going to be about 75% of the population will not be white in the near future. But if Texas parks, if that's the only audience they've been serving, they're, they're not going to survive without the support of a greater population. But I do think it's about seeing more people like yourselves out in that landscape you know we don't see a lot of people like me um you know i'm probably one of the very few people who aren't white who work in our sector and so it's about seeing people like me role models instagrammers and all of that to get the to get people out there and making it easily accessible as well and that's a challenge you know i think one of the biggest challenges we saw everywhere this summer was toilets everybody needs the toilet doesn't matter you do and you know the challenges that places had providing toileting facilities you know was pretty much universal we can't deliver you know positive experiences for people if if they can't go to the loo when they get to places now some people say in order for us to care about the environment and that is absolutely crucial in, in the climate emergency that we're facing. People really need to get out into the environment but because they will learn to care about it. Do you think that's true? So, yes, I think having meaningful experiences in the environment is what matters because we all have hundreds of experiences every day and some are meaningful and some are meaningless. So it's that generation of meaningful experiences. So if you think about um, all the young people this year who have missed their outdoor residential, um, all the young people this year who have not made their day visit, for example, to our national park. So here it, that's in excess of 5,000 young people haven't visited the national park and that's just with our service not with any of the other residential centers and it's about connecting really our future generations because actually actually climate the climate change and biodiversity nature emergencies are going to have the biggest impact on our younger people so making sure that young people can have those experiences and be connected to the outdoors is just going to be critical. And finally, Sunita, I just wanted to talk to you about the importance of preserving the local economies in national parks. If people are going for experiences and they're kind of grouped together, do they spend locally and is that important? So so we've, we've done some research in our national park that um, looks at the... Pro- the, the spend for a day visitor versus the spend for a staying visitor 
and obviously staying visitors put a lot more in the economy um, but I think we really need to work to encourage people to, even if they're only doing a day visit, to input into the local economy. So instead of buying your sandwiches from the, the garage or the, or the supermarket near you, come and buy your lunch at a local bakery in the national park. And you can still take it out on the hill with you. You can still take it down by the walk along the canal with you. Um, you know, buy a couple of Christmas gifts whilst you're visiting. And, and you know, that's, that's staying too, you know, come and stay. But don't order your regular online shop from your big supermarket. Use the local suppliers, the local butcher, the local baker. And, uh, you know, a lot of businesses are putting packages together whereby, you know, these are the connections, these are all the places you can buy your food from and it's important for those local economies rural economies it's a tough time for them at the moment there's a lot of uncertainty you know there's a lot of job losses across the UK and the tourism sector has certainly been a massive contributor to the sustainability of our rural areas um, and we need people to spend locally when they visit places to give something back. And what are your plans for next year? What are you looking forward to? What can you, um, how can you entice us to the Brecon Beacons in the spring maybe? So, so in the in the spring, we'll, before the clocks change, we'll still have our fantastic dark skies um, and you'll be able to stay, um, you know, government restrictions allowing, um, step out from your accommodation and look up and then see the Milky Way. And I think, you know, we'll be looking to see what kind of events um, are allowed to go forward next year. But I think perhaps one one way of thinking about it is about nature and people recovering together. So, you know, come and recover in the family of national parks, contribute locally and recover yourself as well. Fabulous. Fabulous note to end on. Thank you so much, Sunita, for sharing a quarantini with us on this bright, sunny day in winter. Thanks so much to Sunita Welch. And now let's move on to our weekly roundup. What have you got for us, Melissa? Well, here in Bristol, um, January, so the coming about of a super vaccination centre. It opened its door very near me, actually, in South Bristol at Ashton Gate. There are also promising signs that infections are starting to fall again in Bristol as elsewhere in England, so that's pretty good news. And it could soon ease the pressure on the NHS. So Bristol increasing infection rate is getting slower and slower after sharp increase um, after Christmas. So almost a million people across the country already received their first dose of the vaccine now mid-January, with vaccinations finally picking up pace and moving confidently towards the target of 14 million people, uh, those in the highest priority groups, and they should receive their first dose, all of them, by mid-February. So 15 million of us almost. That's quite encouraging in just over a month. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? And I suppose Ashton Gate's pretty good. It's a football stadium, but... Melissa, if we were in Salisbury, we would be being vaccinated in the cathedral, serenaded by live organ music. Now, many listeners have heard about this, but it's been a week of sea shanties. First, we heard about the Scottish postie, who's been singing them on his rounds and posting them on TikTok. And there, sea shanties have become a big thing. Just search for hashtag shantytalk. <laughs> And now it's the turn of the longest Johns, 
That's a good name, isn't it? They're a band from Bristol who Bristol certainly think may be at the heart of the Sea Shanty revival. They've been playing together for many years and two years ago they put out a video in the Xbox game Sea of Thieves, which I am reliably informed is a game all about pirates. And they played their songs within the game to other players who then recorded them, put them on Reddit, put them on Tumblr and finally put them on TikTok. And in their words, it's all gone berserk. So how about that? Later on, at the end of the show, we're going to hear a TikTok remix of a sea shanty called The Wellerman. Yeah, when I heard about this, I was wondering, Pommy, can we explain to our listeners who might not know at all, what is a sea shanty? Well, a sea shanty is a work song traditionally sung by sailors on merchant sailing ships. I find this really funny that it just re-emerged now, this enthusiasm for the sea shanties while we were talking about fish and Brexit for so long. And suddenly <laughs> that came about. That's really interesting, that's right, isn't it? That's right. And I suppose <laughs> I suppose the most famous one in, a, in the UK would be, what should we do with a drunken sailor? And of course, it's quite big here in Bristol, right? It's also a maritime city. So I'm sure there's been a lot of fishers over the years. Well, still here in Bristol, there's also some good news regarding our clean air. The city will finally, sorry for my insisting there, finally begin to charge people driving polluting cars into the city centre from next October. So we have to be patient again, but that's still good news, right? The City Council finally decided on a plan for a clean air zone to tackle air pollution. And the idea for them is to kind of avoid that this plan having a negative impact on the economy or on local people. So we'll see the details a little bit later in the year. But of course, the goal is to bring air pollution to legal levels, which means that they are not. So it's quite it's quite something that was dear to people's heart here in Bristol. We'll see the full details of the plan uh, to be presented next month at the Council's Cabinet. Yes, and why this links in with COVID and the quarantini is because at least during the first lockdown, we all experienced much cleaner air with far fewer vehicles on the roads. And I think this has been a real driving force in the city with pushing through this policy much more quickly than perhaps was planned. And of course, it's just a, it's a bad time to have a breathing problem, right? Because if you catch COVID and you already have a diminishing breathing capacity, then your life is much more endangered. So we all want clean air. Absolutely. Now, we found a great story from Grimsby. It's about an assistant head teacher called Zane Powells, who decided to make sure his pupils didn't suffer too much while being stuck at home. And so he decided to deliver thousands of meals, walking around five miles every day, sometimes in fancy dress. And in August, he was awarded a, an MBE. By that point, he dropped off 7,000 lunches and also raised £11,000 for for two local charities by cycling over 1,500 miles around the UK. And during this lockdown that we're going through, he's added learning packs and laptops to the list. Now, do you remember, Melissa, recently we spoke to Dr Gemma Burgess about the digital divide. So, good on you, Zane. Yeah, and actually I've, I've read about this as well. I think there's more plan to bring laptops to um, Bristol students, so we'll talk about that, I'm sure, 
very, very soon. What do you have for good news from the rest of the world, Pommy? Yes, globally. Well, globally, it's mostly been about the vaccines this week. Algeria, we found out, is sharing it with its neighbour, Tunisia. Jordan has become the first country in the world to vaccinate UN refugees. And India has started perhaps the biggest vaccination programme on the planet. We think around 1.3 billion people. But rather than talk more about vaccinations, we thought we'd leave you with a new baby animal story. One of your favourites, Melissa. Favourites, of course. Who doesn't like baby animals getting, you know, into this world? Finally, some comforting, non-violent, non-destructive living beings coming into the world. Yes, we like stories about new life, don't we? So, and Zoo in Nicaragua has been showing off its white Bengal tiger cub to the press. The tiger cub is called Neves, and she was born just over a week ago in the zoo to uh, to a to a to a tiger called Delilah. This tiger was rescued from a circus about five years ago, but the baby's been rejected by her mum. So Neves is being bottle fed by a zoo director's wife, and you can see pictures of this on the BBC. Oh, and they are so cute. Now it's time for something exciting. Yes, well, we've mentioned it before. The dash of something exciting this episode is a TikTok remix featuring Nathan Evans and various other people who've added their voices and their instruments. And they're all singing a track called The Wellerman. Once was a ship that put to sea The name of the ship was a belly of tea The winds blew up her bow up down below my belly boys blow Soon may the wellerman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. Soon may the wellerman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. She had not been two weeks from shore and down on her a right whale bore. The captain called all hands and swore he'd take that whale in tow. Soon may the weatherman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. Was a ship that put to sea, the name of the ship was a belly of tea. The winds blew up her bird up turn up below my bully boys blow. Soon may the weatherman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. That's it for the Quarantini this week. We'll be back next time with a new cocktail of ideas, music and positive news for you all. This episode was hosted by me, Melissa Shimam. And was hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer. Thanks for listening. And stay safe. When the is done, we'll take a leave and go.